week of November 7th, 2021. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 561, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And at the emergency room in St. Vincent's Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm Michael Giltz. Ooh, did you get injured? Why are you, why are you in the emergency room? Don't make jokes. My mom had a mini stroke or more accurately, a transient ischemic attack. Uh, which is like a warning. It's like your body saying, boo. It's not an actual stroke. She's, her speech was slurred, and for uh, the symptoms lasted about five minutes, maybe 10, and then went away. Of course, we rushed her to the emergency room. Uh, they did a CAT scan. Everything is clear. They kept her overnight simply because, well, she's 92, and she had very high elevated blood pressure. But as soon as she got into the hospital room and had her electric blanket on and was warm and comfortable and they weren't prodding her, her, her blood pressure went right back down to 121 or something over, you know, 80 or 70. To, to or normal, yeah. I didn't relatively know that. normal. Yeah, so. So, you know, it's a, it's a good, it's a good thing to know. The one thing I wish we'd had on hand was low dosage aspirin. So you want 80 milligram dosage of aspirin, which is available in every pharmacy. Uh, if we'd had that on hand, the, you know, if you think they've had a stroke or whatever it might be, you give her one, one pill, one low dose aspirin of 80 milligrams as soon as possible and just rush her. You don't wait to see how they are. The sooner you get them, because if it is a stroke, every second counts. It's kind of like a heart attack for your brain. And in this case, it was a TIA, a transient ischemic attack. Most people who have this do not go on to have a stroke. Two out of three do not. So only a third do. Uh, you can get another TIA. A uh, friend's father had three of them, but never had a stroke. And it's scary, but the second and third time, you kind of know what's happening. You still want to get them to the emergency room right away. You still want to give them that one low-dose aspirin. But it's scary, but happily, there are no lingering symptoms. She's fully recovered. You wouldn't know anything had happened unless you know she told you. So scary, but you know we got her on some blood pressure medicine again, and now taking low-dose aspirin one pill every day. So there you go. Very exciting. Spent the night in the hospital with her you know, got her home. Oh, high drama, high drama. You know, I, I honestly thought you when you mentioned the whole emergency room, I thought since we're talking at the end of today's show about some some issues, uh, you know, on set issues, I thought that's what you were referring to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was at the hospital over the weekend, too, oh dear. but not for something as and I'm glad to hear your mother's doing well. Uh, I was yeah. not I was <clears throat> not there uh, for anything major. I was really just there to get a flu shot. Oh, and good. coming out of uh, the little vaccination area where they're they're giving everything, you get a COVID, you get a flu shot, you get a ball, <laughs> you get all your shots. Uh, I, it's in the parking garage since they have to give so many COVID vaccines. And I was approached by a man with, and there was an elderly woman in in a wheelchair, and he said, "Can you help me with oh. my my mother into my car?" And I thought, well, this is a very odd request. I said, I don't work here and he went at a oh, hospital it's not that odd <laughs> yeah and he, i said i don't work here and he said oh i know but can you help me so he brings me over to his mother who's in a wheelchair right next to, and he's got it all set up like he's done this before and he said okay well it's just like a little baby you pick pick her up and you put her into the seat in the car and i went uh, 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 okay so i did it i i i lifted her up like a little baby and put her into the car and he said thank you so much She's 102. <laughs> I was like, what? If I had known that, I would have gotten a professional. <laughs> 102. Well, my mom turns 93 in February, and Oscar winner and producer Walter Mirisch just turned 100 today. We're recording on Monday, November 8th. 
He's 100 years old. He's the oldest living Oscar winner now that Olivia de Havilland sadly died at the age of 104. And Walter Marish, if you don't know, his company won all sorts of Oscars and did all sorts of great movies like Some Like It Hot, The Magnificent Seven, The Great Escape, on and on and on, including back-to-back wins for Best Picture for The Company with The Apartment, one of the best films of all time, and the best film of 1960, and West Side Story in 1961. And then he personally won an Oscar for, uh, oh, good heavens. Which movie was it? Good Heavens. I loved that movie, Good Heavens. It was a great movie. I remember. 67. Oh, for In the Heat of the Night. Oh, yes. I also like that movie. The Mirish Company was really uh, kind of like the Orion of its day, the Orion Pictures of its day. It really did so well and was such a, a successful company. Lots of great movies. And happy birthday to Walter. I know he's a big fan of our show. What's he going to hear about this week? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we've got a lot. After a few slow weeks, a lot of interesting news has happened. Now, at the box office, Eternals opened well, but may not have the legs of most Marvel movies. But again, hey, pandemic. Personally, I think it's going to have a lot of legs because how many cast members are there? 11 to Yeah, it's going to have like 24 legs. Uh, On the other hand, Netflix released its big actioner, uh, what what is it called? Red Notice, starring Mm -hmm. Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds to such indifference. They're probably thrilled not to be reporting the grosses. By the way, uh, the way I heard about Red Notice was about five and a half seconds ago when I read Red Notice. I had no idea what this was. Yeah, why bother doing a four-walling of it in theaters to make your people happy if you're not going to actually let people know it's coming out i had no idea i read the show notes and was like what the heck red notice what is that well we mentioned I, it when they when they greenlit it's a big expensive 200 million dollar action flick with the biggest stars around right now um, i'm guessing if you go on netflix a lot you've probably seen the ads you know i'm sure they've at least mentioned it but who knows i don't know how they let people know but it didn't work this time well netflix is doing much better in streaming where the korean series squid game or is it squid it's squid game or squid games I don't know. Squid Game. Uh, they, it continues to dominate the charts. Unfortunately, that's also put Netflix under the spotlight in Korea, where the company is being barraged with questions about, you know, paying taxes, forking up more dough to cover all the streaming traffic, and why the creators of its shows don't get a share of the profits. Poor Netflix gets bad press when it loses. And guess what? It gets more bad press even when it wins. <laughs> on Inside Baseball, we'll focus on safety. The filming of Black Panther 2 is delayed yet again after an onset injury proved worse than we were told. And that's what I thought you might be referring to, Michael. The fallout from the tragic death on the set of the Western Rust, that continues. And now, sadly, and this could be our lead story, a, a festival concert, a, a music festival, Astroworld in Houston, led by Travis Scott. It resulted in eight deaths, at least so far, and I think 300 people are injured. We'll be talking about that during Inside Baseball. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. We're looking at box office around the world. I forget. What did Dune open up to in North America? Was it like, like 50 million? 50, 60 million dollars. And know, they were like, 50. huzzah, huzzah. Eternals opens up to 71 million, right around where people said it would. And they're like, oh, it's a disaster. <laughs> so go I don't figure. understand why that's a disaster. It was a, a, a poorly reviewed movie. Okay. With and poor yes, audience it, scores. With poor audience sco- scores. And yeah, I mean, it's not Spider-Man. Like, I don't know any of those superheroes. Granted, I may not be your your 
I'm not the control group there. I don't really know a right. lot. We're of not superheroes. comic book people, but even among comic book people, in Eternals, which is based on the Eternals, a a mini series written by Jack Kirby, I think in the '70s. Maybe it's the '80s. So I hope I'm not wrong about that. But one of the great people in Marvel created this whole new concept. And it shut down before he could even finish the storyline because it just wasn't that popular. Some people love it, as some people always love everything, but it divided people back then. And I don't think its stature has grown since then where like people are like, oh, no, that's clearly a masterpiece. I think there are still people who love it, of course, but there's a lot of people like that didn't work. But well, for, well, you in know any what? case, I'm, choosing I'm this as a Marvel's movie is like Iron Man times 10. I mean, this is a really out there left field choice for a movie uh, property for them to do. Doctor Strange is not well known. Ant Man's not known. Iron Man, but Eternals. This is really going on a limb. So they opened it up to one hundred and sixty-two million dollars worldwide. Now, a, a couple things. One, I'm glad this movie exists for maybe one reason and one reason only. Uh, now, I, you know, gay superheroes. That well, well. Speaking of which, uh, here Justin Chang, uh, a film critic for the Los Angeles Times, he's one of the the uh, I think he's the head film critic there now. Uh, he says that uh, in Eternals, that the characters are quote expressing their love not just for each other but also for the planet they will spend the next several thousand years trying to protect. He goes on to write, happily, director Chloe Zhao seems to have resisted the temptation to film them writhing on a beach, perhaps aware that she isn't making from here to Eternals. And for that sentence alone, I'm glad this movie was made. You're easily pleased. One yes. thing that people said might have held the movie back is that the people who are going to theaters want to see movies on the large screen. They're paying up. They want to have a spectacle. They want to have an event. People are not as ready to go back older adults who are not going to necessarily pony up for the IMAX screening or the you know premium format. Uh, but Eternals, because of its running time, only had two large format screenings at night when it was launching. Whereas like Venom was able to squeeze in four, starting at like 4 p.m. on Thursday, they had four large format screenings. So that might be one thing that held it back long term. Though, of course, Saturday and Sunday, you've got large format screenings all day long. So you're really only losing like two, I would say, or, or four on Thursday and Friday. After that, Saturday and Sunday, you've got all you want. You know, I, I, here's the thing. Uh, we talked about this, I think, last week. What is the deal with these nine-hour movies? They're all like two and a half hours now. Yeah. It's true, but I don't think it holds back profits because I think the theaters can, with staggered showtimes, accommodate it. They do make a good point about IMAX screenings, though this movie is not an IMAX film, so you shouldn't be seeing it in IMAX. You'd be silly to be spend that money. You want to see it on the biggest screen in town, that's great. I don't think they should charge you extra for that, but that's a reasonable thing. You say, no, I want to see it in the big theater at the movie cinema that I'm going to. Okay, but don't pony up for IMAX. However, I was looking forward to seeing Dune in IMAX, and like an idiot, I didn't think it's not going to stay on IMAX forever. Now Eternals is on IMAX. Dune is not an IMAX in my town. Yeah, it's so, only there for two weeks. Oh, so are they like if other movies fade, will it come back? Will they bring it back, or is there always Possibly. booked up? Because uh, you know, the I, problem I is, see, and, mm. and this is problem with all IMAX films, frankly, mm -hmm. they have these two week windows, and there's like right. one new film, and that's actually one of the issues with when you want to release a movie and it's an IMAX driven film, or it's a film that you know was shot, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent in IMAX. Right, you kind of have find to find a slot. Yeah, and that's a big problem. And then you only get a two-week slot. So, yeah, I want to see Doom, but, I, you know, since it was filmed in IMAX, I really want to see it that way. And I may have, you know, 
Screw the pooch, which is a weird expression. So Eternals made $162 million worldwide in its opening week, did much better overseas. It's number one in almost, I think, in every territory it opened. Will it have legs? We'll find out. But it's It won't open in China. Start. We know that. Yeah. Well, it also didn't open up any number of uh, Middle Eastern countries. Uh, why? Because they depict gay characters and also because they de de depict gods. There are a number of countries that don't like it when you show, even if they're mythical gods and not gods that are part of some religion that other people are, you know, actually, you know, worship and, and, and believe in. These are just imaginary gods, but they don't like depicting gods on screen. So you have gays and gods. And in fact, you have gay gods. So that's really kept it out of a lot of the Middle East, which is a shame. And so what you're saying is if I was a movie star, I, like mm. I well, I wouldn't be able to be a worldwide movie star because none of my movies could be shown in some of these countries since I'm a god. That was the joke. You oh, I'm like, okay, I didn't, I didn't quite get that. And they also kept saying how this is one of the worst reviewed and worst um, audience tracking movies in Marvel history, in Mar in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which means movies from Disney. It nicely ignores Universal's Hulk, which in fact did worse. So yeah, they went with Chloe Zhao. They hoped, of course, for critical acclaim as well as commercial acclaim. They got one of those and they got the one that matters to them most commercial acclaim the movie has opened we'll see where it ends up that's the number one movie around the world at 162 million below that is no time to die the bond flick with another 62 million dollars that's at 667 million dollars worldwide on tuesday tomorrow the 9th it will be available for 20 dollars premium video on demand just 30 days after it came out in theaters we wish they'd gone for 45 days. That's the smart bet. The numbers back us up. But they're rushing it out, I guess, in time for Thanksgiving. But not for Thanksgiving. They could have two more weeks theatrical before Thanksgiving happens, and they want to make it available in the home. So I think that was a bad call, but that's what they're doing. At and to be three. honest with you, I mm -hmm. still haven't seen this movie because I just have not had time. And I, w I will be seeing this movie in a movie theater, and it might be right around the time of Thanksgiving because that's when I might have time to actually go see a movie that I'm not covering or that I'm not, you know, at right. that, that's not at a festival. So, and by the way, I think I've seen every Bond movie over Thanksgiving. <laughs> I think yeah. all, I think because that's Usually when I have that's time. Around, that's the time when they come out. Well, yeah, I want to see Dune over Thanksgiving. That made $38 million this week. It's at $330 million worldwide. You could, of course, just watch it on HBO Max. Venom, Let There Be Carnage had another good week. Another $29 million. It's at $425 million worldwide. A very strong success for director Andy Serkis. It's more than tripled its budget worldwide. So that is a big success story right out of the gate. Uh, below that is a Tamil film. I should have looked up the pronunciation. I forgot to do it. Anath, Anath, Anathi. Anathi, perhaps. I apologize for that. A-N-N-A-A-A-T-T-H-E. Oof. This is a. It sounded like you were stuttering there, by the way, but no, there's a lot a of N's and A's. It's a Tamil film in the Tamil language, released in India and the United States and other parts of the world. I think, per Wikipedia, it made $20 million in its opening week. Uh, it stars the 70 year old star Rajinik Rajinikanth. Rajinikanth. Boy, I, I looked him up. I listened to his name a couple of times. Rajinikanth. Uh, a hugely popular star perhaps the most popular Tamil star of all time, but hugely popular all over India. This movie is part of the Renaissance. India has been opening up slowly, but this is the week when we've had two really big movies, this film and Surivanashi, Suryavanashi, which is a Hindi film released both of them in time for Diwali, a big festival in India. This one made at least $10 million. 
in India and worldwide, including a million dollars in the U.S. So this is really two big Indian films have opened up. They're big success stories, at least on their opening weekend. People have come out to see them during the Diwali Festival, and that's great to see the lights coming back on in India. We have had some Hollywood movies opening up, but people really came back to the cinema for these two films with uh, you know, one very big star, Rajinikanth. Right below that movie at maybe $20 million. We're not sure of the box office grosses. That's the best I could determine. If you know better, tell us. Yes, you can write to us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter, actually, where uh, I noticed Raul Burreal reached out to us uh, recently. At uh, Showbiz Sandbox is our handle. And uh, we're also on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can like our page. Yeah, and if you've heard Raul Burreal's name before, that's because he's a pen pal with us. You can reach out to us too. We'd love to hear from you. So Eternals made 160 million. No Time to Die made 60 million. Dune made 40 million. Venom made 30 million. The Tamil film Anathati made 20 million. And then down here is The Adams Family 2 at the tail end of Thanksgiving made another $14 million and passed the $100 million mark. Ron's Gone Wrong, an animated sci-fi flick, also made $14 million. That's about to hit $50 million worldwide. Wes Anderson's doing great. The French Dispatch opened up in some more territories. It made $13 million worldwide. It's now at $20 million and counting. This is the movie that art house fans and older people have said, I am going back to the theater to see this film. There are other movies like Spencer and others that have not quite clicked or have clicked modestly. There have been some modest success stories, but this one has really been an art house hit. Uh, Halloween Kills made $12 million. Again, seeing the end of uh, Halloween, we imagine Halloween Kills will die off, but it made $12 million this week. It's at about $130 million worldwide. We had the Hindi film that made $10 million. Then China's The Battle at Lake Shengjun. That made another $9 million this week. It's at $867 million worldwide, only $7 million behind Wolf Warrior 2, the highest grossing Chinese-made film of all time. So unless something bizarre happens, this film will definitely pass that movie and become the biggest hit in China's history in terms of a movie made in China. In fact, it's such a hit, they're going to make a sequel. You're like, it's a war of a sequel. Yes, they're making another movie about another big battle in the Korean War. It's called The Watergate Bridge. And it's about another, you know, confrontation between China and Korea with the United States in what they call the war to resist U.S. aggression and aid Korea. More of a mouthful, but catchy. You know what? Uh, I think that could be their third film. Or that could be the name of the trilogy. They make That's three right. films. They can make that the name of the trilogy. That is the trilogy. That's right. Uh, below the Battle of Lake Shengjin is uh, another horror film, a time-traveling, arty horror film, Last Night in Soho by Edgar Wright. A decent hold. It made another $7 million. That's at $13 million worldwide. Antlers with Jesse Plemons made $6 million. That's also at $13 million. Shang-Chi is chugging along. That's at $430 million worldwide. Guess what? Another $20 million, and that movie will have tripled its official budget of about $150 million, making that movie a win straight off the bat just from box office alone as far as how we determine it. And it comes to Disney Plus on November 12th. So this week, it will hit Disney Plus. In fact, it's a really big week uh, in entertainment. We have Disney Plus Day 
for fans who people who are really big fans of Disney. We have Silk Sonic, a band that I really love. That's got a new album coming out on Friday. I, I can't wait for that. Uh, that's that's uh, one I'm really going to look forward to. And we have some art house films. Spencer, the Diana film, the film about Diana. Uh, uh, what's her full name? Diana, Princess of Wales. That movie about the dissolution of her marriage with Charles. I made about $2 million, but not considered really a good, that would be a good success story for a tiny art house film. But the um, wide as it opened up and the response, it looks like it's probably going to fall fast. Um, and then Red Notice, a big, big $200 million action film. It made maybe $1.3 million, and if you're being generous, maybe $1.5 million. We don't really know because Netflix has four-walled the movie and doesn't report grosses. This is one very good reason why. I mean, do you really think people just said, well, I can see it for free, so I can't be bothered, or did they just not know it was in theaters? I didn't even know it was on Netflix. Forget about theaters. I didn't even know I could see it anywhere, and I don't think it's on Netflix yet. I think they... No, it's like a week, like a week later. exactly. Now, what do you think of AMC? The movie chain is selling popcorn. They're like, we'll sell popcorn in the home. We'll sell popcorn. They're going to now market their popcorn. Does this feel like 50 years too late? Because that's how it feels to me. Well, I don't necessarily know that it's too late, but it's certainly something they probably could have done a long time ago. But, you know, better late than never. I mean, they're doing it now. So go ahead. And first of all, they have a name, right? They have a name. They're, they have name brand recognition nationally. If you uh, did, you know, Star Cinema Grill, well, you could do that in Houston, but you can't do it everywhere else. If you did uh, MK2, you could do it in France, but you couldn't do it everywhere else. Uh, is there know, ever any, is there any theater popcorn that you think this is better than when I make over Redenbach or at home or some other brand? Cause I don't feel, I've never said, Oh my God, this is so much better than what I make at home. I don't know about that. I think, uh, it's, it's certainly, uh, it's look, it, it comes down to the oil, the temperature, uh, and how you're popping it. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's part of the reason that movie theater popcorn tastes the way it does. And, and they're, they're your audience, so be careful. Good job. <laughs> well, no, uh, I'm not- well, no, well, you know what? Actually, on last week's CJ Cinema Summit, we had a gentleman from Preferred Popcorn, and he started talking about fill rating and uh, spread and like all of these facts and figures having to do with popcorn. And I, I thought, wait a second, you don't just put it in oil, pop it, and put it in a bag? <laughs> but apparently, no. how many, how many uh, servings you can get out of a 50-pound bag, they, these are all rated. I thought, my God, you know what? I had no idea it was that complicated. They have 30 <laughs> varieties. Preferred popcorn sells 30 varieties of different popcorn. They actually grow popcorn specific to the Korean market. Who knew? Oh, they're like a particular type or particular... Yeah, I didn't Style. know that. Well, that. That makes sense that there'd be different uh, varieties that would appeal differently around the world. Not all popcorn is the same, and not all cinema chains are the same. In the U.S., I think the cinema chains were glad when the government imposed like vaccine mandates, like you need to show a mandate in New York State. They don't have to make that decision themselves. They can just say, hey, it's the government telling us to do this, and people know they can go to the cinema and feel safe because they're surrounded by people who've been vaccinated. And that that encourages people to get back to the theaters. In the UK, they've taken a different tack. The United Kingdom uh, Cinema Association, I guess it is, the UKCA, they have criticized plans in Wales to uh, demand a COVID pass for people who want to go to movie theaters and other venues like that. They've been criticized and saying they shouldn't be doing that. Get out of it. It's like, I don't get that. The UK has really been struggling. Europe is now the center again of the COVID pandemic. Uh, thanks to a resurgence of COVID. So I would think they would welcome it. And it's a shame to see that they're not. Well, in this case, uh, I happen to know what's going on here. They're kind of in a hard place. 
uh, you know, whether they agree with it or not, they have to, you know, the theater owners don't like it. They don't want to have to uh, impose it uh, because it, to them, it's just one more thing they have to do. Uh, that said, they, you know, the UKCA then has to do something for its members, which is put out a press statement that says we don't like it. Right, uh, but, they're, but they're wrong. I mean, it's not hard to do. You know, doing it in New York and elsewhere. People have to show their credit card if they bought the thing online or they have to show their phone with their receipt. It's very simple to show the other thing too. You carry your vaccine pass with you. Nobody likes that there's a pandemic, but it does not create an insurmountable barrier to going to a theater or a restaurant or a movie cinema. People know to expect it. And then you don't have to argue with people. You don't have to say, I don't feel, you know, you know, it just takes it out of your hands and makes it easy to me. It's one, one extra thing to look at, but so what? Yeah, I haven't actually experienced it yet where somebody has said, oh, wait, you can't come in here unless you show me your I haven't experienced it myself. yet. Oh, I'm sure I, I will, because yeah. I think it, it is about to start uh, here in Los Angeles County. I think they they've instituted it uh, and, and I just haven't been to a restaurant. Do you yet. have a little laminated pass of your of your covid pass? Yes, I do. Yeah. So, yeah, so do I. Um, and uh, what about. <laughs> Disneyland? No, I, I'm no, not no. going to Disneyland You're ever again because I might get stuck there. But this is, imagine you're in China. You're like, they're going to impose a vaccine pass mandate requirement so that when you go to the movies or the restaurant or a concert, you have to show your vaccine pass showing, hey, I've been vaccinated. Imagine you're in China. You go to Shanghai Disneyland and one person was reported positive with COVID-19. They they shut the whole place down. And in fact, the way the headline was in The Hollywood Reporter, China locks 30,000 people inside Shanghai Disneyland. That was the headline. You're like, what? And then you soon they changed the headline to they hold 30,000 people. Everybody was allowed to leave. They just did a rapid test with them before they left the Shanghai Disneyland Park. So everybody in the park was told, stop where you are. Nobody gets to leave. You got to do a swab test and then you can go once we find out that you're not positive. And oh, by the way, we will be uh, stopping by every day to your house to right because I'm saying exactly because it's not really any use to do it right then. If you think that they're going to be positive, you really have to test for five. You know, it's the fifth day where you really can find out for sure. So uh, maybe they told them to stay at home too. I don't well, know. and actually, my daughter's soccer coach, uh, high school soccer coach, didn't show up to their first scrimmage, and everybody was wondering why. And and he said, "Well, look, I was exposed to somebody who tested positive for right. coronavirus for COVID." And we all thought, "Oh, you're being very overly cautious." Uh, and he you're being, then, no, you're doing what you should do. And he tested every day, and sure enough, on the sixth day, he tested positive. Oh wow! Yeah, no, he, he wasn't being overly cautious. He was being responsible and doing what he should do, and what right. you hope every parent in person would do. Ah, but there you go. It's like we're in a Squid Game where we're all competing for. No, no, no. I looked it up, and Squid Game is the name of the Korean show. It's called Squid Game, and it's a okay. massive hit. And this week we finally have full numbers. It's been a few weeks where we just didn't catch, and we don't get. We're not on. We're not on paying for the service, so we don't get these numbers unless it's reported on in the trades. And either some weeks we've just missed it, even though I can't imagine how, or they haven't been fully reported in time. And this week we have a full breakdown of all the big shows. Uh, who was it? Was it a uh, was it Variety or Hollywood Reporter? I'm not sure. But what they did was they gave us a combined top ten overall, and then they gave us a top ten for the originals, a top ten for acquired shows like Seinfeld, which just debuted on Netflix, and a top ten movies. So we got everything you could possibly want to know. Except Join. here's the thing: I uh -huh. will be sending uh, Variety a a bill actually uh -huh. for our consulting work for showing them how to do it right. 
Ah, why well, I agree, I agree, because we were yeah. combining those charts first. But of course, these are numbers from Nielsen and others. They report on Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, and Apple. That's it. And it's North American numbers only. And it doesn't cover when you watch stuff on your laptop or your phone. So that's the numbers we're looking at, but it's the best capture we have of what's really popular. And when you look at the shows on all those those three charts, there are 10 charts, you know, t- top 10 original shows, top 10 acquired, top 10 movies, 25 of the 30 on those lists are from Netflix. Black Widow is the interesting one, right? This is this is the week of October 4th through 10th. It's the week that Black Widow, I think, debuted on Disney+. Plus. And given its viewing numbers, I think it was about equal to somebody watching that movie 5 million times. So it's 5 million households watching Black Widow is the equivalent of what they got to. Assuming everybody who watched it watched it completely, that's equal to about 5 million tickets sold. But of course, it's at home. So two, three, or four, or five people could be watching that movie at any one time. It was released in theaters on July 9th day and day with premium video on demand so people could pay 30 bucks right away in july to see it now three months later it's october and now disney plus subscribers can watch it for free so these are all the people who said i want to watch on disney plus maybe they went to see it in the theater they certainly didn't pay 30 dollars to watch it now they're watching it in their homes and it was viewed 676 million minutes in North America on TVs. So about 5 million households checked out Black Widow. How does that now sound? Here's, to you? here's the, the argument that I would like to make anytime, uh, you know, one of these studios says, but then we have to, we have to advertise twice, once for home video and once for the original theatrical release. I would say, yeah, you know, back in the days when you had VHS and DVDs and people had to go to the store and, you know, the video store, like a blockbuster or a red box, <laughs> they had, yeah, yeah, that was a problem. You know, it was, you know, I could see that being an issue. You had to remind people and, and you had so many places to do it, billboards and, and bus stops and, you know, park benches and everything. Here's the deal. We're all going to the same five places. We turn, you turn on, our on TVs, Netflix, you turn yeah, on Disney Plus. Or you turn on Hulu and guess what? If I'm not a Disney Plus subscriber, you could be advertising to me on the homepage of Hulu saying, hey, you non-Disney Plus subscriber, do you want to watch Black Widow? And guess what? You'll get all the Hulu subscribers. And guess what? You could do the same thing on Amazon. You could pay Amazon. And guess what? You could do the same thing on all the Samsung televisions or all the Rokus, which by the way, we know you're doing because when I logged <laughs> onto Roku, sure enough, that's what was shown to me was that, that I could watch Black Widow on Disney Plus if I had a subscription. Well, here's what I wonder. If you went to Netflix that week in early October, did you see an ad for James Cameron's Titanic? Because Black Widow, one of the biggest films of the year, was viewed 676 million minutes. At number two is a, an original film on Netflix called The Guilty at 445 million minutes. And number three is Titanic from 1997, 350 million minutes. I don't, well, maybe that's two viewings since the movie's so long, but that's a lot of viewings. I mean, what brought that into the number three on the top 10 movies chart? <laughs> they, must no idea, I- they must have been promoting They must have been promoting it. I'd love to know. And if you know, we've already given you the info. Tell us. I actually noticed yesterday my my daughter wanted to watch Captain Phillips, okay, which, by the way, I told her, look, we can watch it. I was trying to explain to her why I'm running around the house going, I am the captain. No, uh, she didn't understand 
what that 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 line from that movie so i explained the movie Dad, and daddy why are you being racist <laughs> no i was just trying to say do hey, the accent i know i am in charge now like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was trying to point out oh uh, well, you keep telling yourself that um and so so i told her that we could watch it that it was on hulu well it was on hulu in october it's November now, and of course, it's not on Hulu anymore ah. because heaven forbid this stuff should stay the same for more than five and a half minutes. Now you have to rent it. So instead, we were we were trying to find something to watch, and I was going to Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and all all these. And and sure enough, I did notice that on Netflix, I was like Titanic. Why are they showing me like? Oh really? Oh yeah. I was like. I did notice that just last night, as a matter of fact. Oh, it's a trending topic. Well, if you look at the top 10 acquired properties, they are all on Netflix. And at number one is Coco Melon. There's just 12 episodes of this preschool show. I have not really watched it. I think it began on YouTube. 626 million minutes. I think this is the first time it has actually topped the list of acquired programs. I may not be right about that, but it's certainly acquiring it this week. And it's certainly timely, isn't it? Yeah, well, okay. So so let's actually get into the fact that streaming, whether it's from Hulu or Disney Plus or, you know, where you know, I guess in, in Korea, which we'll talk about in a second, there are other uh there are other providers. It accounts for 71% of all downstream US internet usage. At least it did last year according to Comcast. That's a lot. Sure, okay. No, I was bringing it up because Coco Melon, the people who created Coco Melon, sold for three billion dollars. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. I didn't, un I didn't know what you know. Kevin Mayer, who who was in charge of launching Disney Plus, he kind of left, right? And then, right. and he went off to to be a part of TikTok. And then, of course, the U.S. government said we don't like TikTok, so he had to resign. Uh, and he was kind of out there in the wilderness and now he's kind of, uh, he's out there buying companies for billions of dollars. This is the second company that, I mean, he bought it for 15 times the amount of money it will make next year. I don't know if that's a good business move. <laughs> well, uh, I know it's a popular move among the, uh, the kids. They love their Coco Melon. That's the number one. Number two is Seinfeld, which is also just joined the Netflix family and they've been promoting that a lot. I know that. And that's right at number two, getting a lot of viewing, even though we're talking about a show that's like 30 years old and has been, you know, seen endlessly in reruns and syndication, but the power of getting to watch it on demand when you want, I guess, in order to a degree, maybe people care about that for a sitcom, not necessarily, but that's cool. But number one, overall, by far another 3 billion minutes viewed is Squid Game and Squid Game is so big. It has put Netflix under an intense spotlight in the country of Korea. Here are the facts. Squid Game has been number one in 94 countries. Netflix has been trumpeting that. And so the people in Korea said, well, so why aren't the creators of the show sharing in that financial success? To which Netflix says, well, it's really hard to break out how much money it actually made. <laughs> it's like they love to saying how what a big hit it is. But then when you say, well, where's my money? They're like, well, you know, you can't really put a dollar amount on. It's not like a box office gross. So they get to just fudge away, don't they? Well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, you know, what they're really saying is, uh, hey, listen, Korea, here's how the entertainment industry works. You know, first there was television, broadcast television. They'd make these shows and then they'd broadcast them again in reruns and then in syndication. And once it went into syndication, people got paid again. And that's why, you know, uh, the Seinfeld you mentioned and the off, all those people keep getting checks. And which is why when we make Friends 2 or whatever television series we're going to make, we're just going to pay an upfront fee and nobody gets any money ever again. 
And they're like, wow, that's not good. Right. They, they, want, they want some metric that will say when a show is a massive worldwide hit, we should make more money. Because there was one estimate that it has generated $900 million in value for Netflix. I, how could you possibly come up with that number? Increased subscribers, subscriber retention. I have no idea. But guess what? It's number one in 94 countries. It's a huge out-of-the-box hit. It certainly ain't hurting Netflix. And it's certainly, at some way, people are going to say, you know what? Uh, we should share in that wealth because this has been a monster hit way beyond anything you could have anticipated. It's also so popular, it's overwhelming the internet in Korea. That's what the local ISPs say, or rather the government, I guess, since they are in charge of the internet in South Korea. That's what you're telling me. They say they want to charge Netflix more money because the show is generating such huge traffic. We had the same conversation in America like five, 10 years ago. The ISP said, Hey, look, all this traffic is coming from like five companies, Netflix, et cetera. What the heck? You need to pay us more to which Netflix says, well, gee, people are already paying you for that Internet connection. Why do you get to be paid twice? Right. So, well, I mean, like, you know, net neutrality, when it was created, you know, 25, 20 years ago, it, I don't think anybody expected, as you say, Michael, that like, you know, 80 percent of the Internet traffic would come from like five, six companies. And that's kind of what's happening right now. And nobody's really talking about the fact that all of this streaming is such a climate disaster. It's a, such an environmental disaster because- Well, it doesn't have to be because it's really not about streaming. It's about the source of electricity, which we can change very quickly. Correct. So that so can all be carbon neutral or carbon free. Uh, we just need to change where that energy is coming from. We're all switching to electric cars. That doesn't solve the problem. You know, you're not burning gasoline, but if you're burning coal to power the car, but that doesn't mean electric cars are bad or that people shouldn't stream the internet. It just means we need to very- very, very quickly transition to green energy. And we can do it today and save money. It's cheaper to do wind, solar, and batteries than it is to burn natural gas or coal or oil. So we're not going to be suffering. We're not going to have to sit in the dark. We can save money and make sure that streaming is not a something that's poisoning the atmosphere. Well, so SK Broadband, this is the South Korean, it's kind of a state-owned broadband provider. They're saying, look, you know, you know, a 24 fold increase, uh, in, in traffic. And that means we have to upgrade all of our, our hey, people, people are using this service they're paying for. This is super annoying. Well, <laughs> it, yes. But if, in other words, it was fine until you showed up. Right. Uh, right. When so nobody was, really used it, it was great. <laughs> uh, you know, look, if you want us to offload all this stuff, build us a loading dock. We'll be more than happy to offload it. But, and what, that's exactly what, what, what Netflix yeah, did. Yeah, this is weird. In this article, Netflix said, well, hey, we've been offering as we do in every country in the world, we offer this option of the open connect hardware devices to internet service providers, which we, which Netflix says can reduce network traffic for them by 95%. To which I say, what magic is this? Well, okay. And it doesn't so really reduce the traffic by 95%. It sort of lets them off the hook carry the traffic. Yeah, it's, it's right. It's, there's still a lot of traffic. Well, you mentioned it back in 2014, Comcast and Verizon and Time Warner Cable, they all went to Netflix and said, hey, you know, we have a store here and uh, we have all these products, but, you know, everybody keeps, you know, breaking down our doors only for you. We keep replacing the doors just because of your products. So uh, why don't you pay us more money? Yeah. So can you please replace our doors? Uh, and so basically Netflix had to, and, and that's called an interconnect agreement. I'm not going to get into the whole trap, you know, period please, Jesus, and, please and don't. free riders, but basically thank you. Thank for, you. For Article years, three. <laughs> yeah. Ne for years, Netflix has been on a free rider. Uh, and that said, 
what they they started to actually pay in 2014, Comcast and Verizon, these interconnect fees. Uh, they tried to get around it. It didn't work. All of a sudden, they started to see that the traffic going to their end users, their customers, uh, hey, it was it was declining by 25 percent. That we they were being throttled. So they they paid the fees. Then they said, you know what? If we're going to be paying those fees, why don't we own this network? Why don't we own the interconnect? And they would literally put hardware equipment into the ISPs. They would go to Comcast and say, here's a box. We paid for it and we're paying you to put it in. And that's how they actually make sure that the video going and from so the, them to, to you, the customer, comes at a specific bit rate and a specific quality. And the Korean ISP say, yeah, we don't really want you pushing your technology onto us and taking control of our internet. We just want you to pay us more money. I imagine right. that's where they're at right now. Pretty and, much. And my, my st- stepping back thought is simply that whether you call it net neutrality or competition, capitalism, like they have in Europe, or however you do it in a regulatory fashion, there's every reason you can have great internet service at less cost than we have in the United States. We have the most expensive, some of the worst internet uh, traffic in the world. It's slower, clunkier, and more expensive than ever, almost anybody else of a major country. We don't need that. It doesn't have to happen. We can change the way we do business, make sure there's competition in capitalism so that that last mile to your home, there's actually multiple companies competing for your business. And if they had that in Korea, they might also have the same thing that they have in other countries where there's competition and therefore that healthy competition means people are working to provide good service rather than saying, who can we charge more money to? Yeah. And that's basically what, you, you know, we, we had that issue here in the United States in 2014. It's following Netflix around the world. They have a program for it. It's called Open Connect. And what's happened in the U.S. is this Open Connect is really taking care of the problem. The companies are just fine. We'll let you do this. Or is that what's because I assume, like you say, there's still a massive amount of the traffic. Why aren't the ISPs yelling? They still have a monopoly. They're still charging me 60 plus dollars a month for Internet connection. Aren't they still trying to charge Netflix and other people? a lot? Of, don't they want to charge Disney plus a lot of money? Well, they're saying, yes, they they do. But at least for, uh, I can only speak to Netflix when Netflix is saying, okay, okay, we get it. We get it. We've brought too much traffic to your highway. So you know what? We're going to build another lane on this highway and we're going to own it and control it. And that way we can make sure that our trucks can go as fast as as they need to go. You're talking about the hardware that they have installed and have they done that in the U.S.? And and by the the way, we'll pay you for the right to build that road. And have they done that in the U.S.? Yes, they have. So that's everywhere. So that means Netflix now has an unfair advantage over any newer ISP because I'm not ISP, but a newer streamer who might say come in and if they get a hit, suddenly they're getting a hit with a big fee and they can't afford to place you know, hardware in every ISP around the country, they can't begin to do that. And they might get hit with a big fee and suddenly guess what? The domination by Netflix and Amazon and Disney plus will continue because new people with great new content will get throttled or will face huge fees. And that creates more of a burden for newcomers to come in and provide great service. And right there, everything you just said, it ha- is is the downside to this is that yes as netflix will point out well we're no longer on the public road so you know if you're a, a startup with a new streaming service that public road is free for you right now you know we're not clogging it up like we used to so now your stuff can get there faster yeah, yeah except the netflix become- road is smooth and beautiful and the public road that's left is filled with potholes and and trenches <laughs> well not even that it's that once you actually become popular enough well, that public road is going to start costing you a heck of a lot more. Yep. Woo! It's time for Big Deal or Big Whoop. I'd have had no segue.
Oh, okay. Well, Big Deal or Big Whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment, and we're going to tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Now, our first story kind of brings us back to, uh, you know, traditional broadcasting. The BBC's funding, the British Broadcasting Corporation's funding, it may be frozen for the next two years, which means, by the way, the BBC is facing an actual cut in its budget. You know, normally the BBC fights for its funding to at least keep pace with inflation. And if you don't get a raise that keeps pace with inflation, then you're really kind of experiencing a pay cut. The same is true for the United Kingdom's media giant, the BBC, which is respected around the world. But this year, the conservative government that is in, in place in the UK is looking to freeze the budget across the board. Why? Because inflation is rising way too fast and way too much. Because of the pandemic, inflation in the UK may hit 4.4%, and economists usually like to keep it around the 2% mark, so it's twice as much. This happens just as the BBC looks to increase the diversity of voices it represents and pivot away from making everything in London, all of which, by the way, costs way more money. Big deal or big whoop? Well, it's a big deal because the BBC is a big funder of a lot of great programming all over the world. It's a respected source of news and information. It's just a leading light for the UK and really brings great value to the country. And I'm struggling to understand this logic. Okay, inflation raised increased 2%. Well, we better increase the budget at least 2% just to make sure they're not losing money. Okay, now the inflation has run to 4%. Oh, well, then we won't raise it at all. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. Not even 2% or 3%? Like, even if you said we can't go to 4%, why would that make you say, well, well then we're not doing it at all. That's too much. It's like, yeah. that seems to be the opposite of what you do. But what do I know? That just seems crazy. But thank you, Boris Johnson. Well, let's stick with governments, kind of. The Justice Department of the United States, big deal or big, no, just kidding. <laughs> uh, the Justice Department of the United States is suing to block the merger of publisher Penguin Random House with Simon & Schuster. My goodness, if those two things merge, that would be a mouthful. I think that's probably why they're trying to block this merger, because who wants to say Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster all at once? That's you, like could just say, you could just say Persh, Penguin yeah. Random Simon House Schuster. Persh. Well, here's the thing. In recent decades, normally the only question about a merger was the short-term uh, question of asking, will this raise prices for consumers? If not, it got the green light. Another way of putting it might be, will this merger be good for consumers? If the answer was yes, then the merger was approved. Dominating a sector wasn't really considered a problem as long as several other major players were involved or perhaps even if it lowered prices for consumers in the short term. In this case, other major publishers remain, such as HarperCollins and Macmillan and Hachette. At least two of them I know are dominant in the textbook business. Uh, now, here's the thing. A combined Penguin Random House with Simon & Schuster would be so much bigger than the others that a look at overall market share is giving the Biden administration pause. Well, I don't know why it would give them pause. This isn't video. You know, maybe it just... Anyway. Keep going, keep going. Uh, here's my question. Will the, their pushback succeed in stopping the mega merger? And is this a big deal or a big whoop? It's a big whoop, unfortunately, because the merger that should have, the merger that should not have happened was Penguin Random House. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for true. God's sakes, that's already such a massive merger of two of the biggest companies. That was insane. The idea of Penguin Random House merging with Simon and Schuster is bonkers. It's crazy ridiculous. And yet there's not a single person in publishing who thinks it should happen except for Penguin Random House and Simon and & Schuster. Everybody else thinks, oh my God, what a disaster. Booksellers, printers, publishers, agents, writers, everybody thinks it's a disaster. But 
<laughs> you know what? In the courts, are they going to win? I don't think so. The way the courts have gone for 30 years and all the federal judges, they've had decades now of saying, well, it's not going to raise prices tomorrow, so it must be okay. So the idea of it actually stopping is very unlikely. However, maybe just the fact that they are trying to block it will make it founder. The fact that they're going to delay this for several years may make it a deal they don't want to happen and they may walk away from it. That's that's the best possible. I don't see them winning in court, even though they should, but I do see them maybe because they are taking it to court, because it will be delayed, that they may just create an inertia that it doesn't happen. But it shouldn't happen. I hope it doesn't, but I'm not that hopeful. Well, let's stick with books for a second, because speaking of books, we've got the Harry Potter universe, right? We've got the Roald mm -hmm. Dahl universe. So why not the James Bond universe? I can't wait to go to Bond what? World. Bond World. <laughs> yeah. No, that would be for adults only. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, ooh, yeah. I just, yeah. Actually, you know what? Hold on. I'm writing mm -hmm. that down. I, I think uh, it's called the Playboy Mansion. Anyway, keep going. Oh, okay. Well, no, Odd Job won't be getting his own spinoff novels. But the Ian Fleming estate has authorized novelist Kim Sherwood to deliver new books set in the world of James Bond, but not featuring Bond himself, which means she could just be writing a spy novel. And I don't get it. Like, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Anyway, Sherwood just has one novel under her belt, but is a lifelong Bond fanatic and promises sexy, fun, modern thrillers with, I guess, presumably 008, 009, I don't know, 005, 001. I don't know. How about triple O? Triple O, yes. Uh, well, you know, you get the idea. Uh, several authors, including Anthony Horowitz, Kingsley Amis, and Sebastian Falks, among them, they have penned original titles starring James Bond. But none have been written by women, and none have focused on anyone but Bond. Get it? Anyone but Bond? Mm -hmm. You see how I get, you know, I get alliteration there. Uh, are you shaken or stirred about this news, Michael? And by the way, is this news big deal or big whoop? Well, I'm shaken and stirred, and I have a slice of thin lemon as well. But anyway, this is interesting. Uh, it's a different strategy from the estate than it is from the filmmakers. The Broccoli's control the movie rights, and they have always resisted like a Bond TV show, doing a teenage James Bond a la young Indiana Jones, all those possibilities to extend the franchise. They're like, no, no, no. We make movies. We do one every few years. Leave us alone. <laughs> in the books however they have extended the bond adventures and now they're saying there's a bond universe i'm not convinced but if she delivers uh, it, i guess it could work more other, other double o agents the idea is that bond has been captured or killed and he's out of the loop and the other agents are running around doing their thing uh it's a trilogy she's doing three books i think she's already written one or two of them they've people seem to have read them from the comments that were made and uh we'll see how it goes all she has to do is write a good thriller I'm not sure how much there is in the Bond universe. I mean, they will have Q and M and stuff like that. They will be involved. So it's everybody except Bond. Um, I guess. So it's uh, basically you, a spy thriller with MI6. Yeah, right. Okay. With, the, with the branding of James Bond, which everybody has often tried to emulate, like J Jason Bourne and a million other spy novels. But they've got the imprimatur of actually being set in the Bond universe. Is it worth that much? I don't know. Well, speaking of worth that much and not knowing. We talked earlier about all the hit shows airing on Netflix. Remember that? Mm -hmm. You know, sh shows like Squid Game, no S, by the way, uh, 
you know, Netflix created that show and Seinfeld, they did not create, which it acquired. Uh, now, eventually, at some point, people stop watching TV. OK, it happens. What? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens. Uh, maybe they're listening to a podcast. And by the way, if you are, I recommend Showbiz Sandbox, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines <laughs> around the entertainment world. Uh, or perhaps they're just traveling from one location to another. Now they could open up their Netflix app on a phone or a tablet and they could start streaming they could do that but they might also start playing a mobile game netflix here's the thing they want to be your home for gaming too it's just launched more than a dozen mobile games you can play via their app and sure three of them are based on the hit show stranger things which by the way is at least two too many but if they pour enough money into it eventually they'll create a hit or stuff that's just good enough to keep you entertained until the next season of bridgerton arrives when is that by the way big deal or big whoop it's a big whoop at the moment eventually it will either click or they will push it aside they've got the money to try it out why not i guess this is a company that hugely pivoted from mailing you a, a shiny disc in the mail to providing that stuff via streaming, which was a huge change. And then the even bigger shift of creating original content, they've done this multiple times. So this is a huge new pivot to mobile gaming. Uh, it's an entirely new business. Can they do it? Uh, does the experience of creating original shows help? Yes, to a degree, but look at Disney. They make great movies. They make crappy video games. They always have. You know, they've, They're always crappy. So it's a big, big challenge. It's a whole new world. But they've got the money to fail and keep at it if they want to. I haven't heard a lot of attention about Apple's games because they launched some mobile gaming and with some big name creators. And that's just not my world. But I haven't heard anybody talking about, wow, this one has caught fire or that one's really popular. Woo, this is really innovative and great. So, you know, it ain't easy, but they've got I think the you money. Stepped on so your we'll punchline. I think oh, you stepped did, on your what punchline. What did I mess up? What did yeah, I do? No, no. I think you, you because you said, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that this is a whole new world. And then you mentioned Disney. So oh, I thought, I thought maybe I said, that was... it's a whole new world. I should, yes, have, I exactly. should have broken into song, uh, but it's too sad to break into song because we have a uh, very bad news in inside baseball. Yes. Inside baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. And you're right, this week it's not good news. Now, we've talked about IOTC, which is the below-the-line union. They're going to be voting on that new contract November 12th with the results due by November 15th. So next week when we record our show, hopefully we'll have the results uh, during that day. We'll probably want to wait and make sure we have that in so we can include it in the show, perhaps, unless it's like the end of the day or something. But, but a lot of that contract had to do with safety, you know, turnaround times, length of the working day. Yeah, They yep. shouldn't be like six 16 hour work days, five days in a row, and then expect the person to drive home and not crash their car. Mm -hmm. uh, well, there was a, a uh, an accident on Black Panther 2 recently. I guess it's uh, being called Wakanda. I don't know what the name well, of it is. Well, just Wakanda is the kind of, and it's not called Wakanda as such. I just said oh, Wakanda. Okay. Just, oh, okay. to, just to zero you in on what we were talking about. Yeah, production shut down uh, just now. Actor Letitia Wright was injured in August. And apparently she is still recovering. So clearly it was more serious than we realized at the time. Uh, they don't like to make a big noise about that stuff. But, you know, we're, uh, of course, the most important thing is that she recover fully and be healthy. But it lets you know people die, people get injured, people, you know, movie sets are not the safest place in the world. And we really want them to be because you're just telling a story and making believe. So it's always concerning when something like that happens.
Well, of course, uh, this is in the wake of what happened on the set of Rust, a Western that Alec Baldwin was filming. And if, and just to bring everybody up to speed who I guess is joining us here on Earth, uh, a, a gun went off a, uh, and killed the cinematographer and wounded the director. It was a live round in the gun, a real gun on a Western set. There should have been no live rounds at all. And now there are questions about why are there real guns? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson says there shouldn't be, right? Dwayne Johnson said, I'm not going to have any real guns on the set of my projects anymore. I don't mean if I don't know if that includes guns that fire blanks, because it should include that. There's no need for blanks. Yeah, everything can be done post. Uh, if there's some antique film and you need an antique gun, there's got to be a new way of creating that so that you are not dealing with even blanks in the gun so that it's not a functioning gun whatsoever. That's what he's called for. And the leading cinematographers, of course, we had a cinematographer die on the set of the movie. The top cinematographers and the head of the American Society of Cinematographers, the ASC, have said there should not be any functional firearms on a film or TV set anymore. And that's, wow. the, you know, okay. that's where people are going. Well, you, you talked about Alec Baldwin, of course. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, you don't need cops monitoring anything if there's no gun. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what he means by fake guns. I think he means guns that can fire blanks and cartridges. If you got a hunk of plastic or you're doing everything post and there's nothing that can go wrong, you don't need you don't need to hire cops and have them there. Just get rid of the damn guns. And by the way, there, know are, there are police officers on almost every movie set that is a union movie set because it's just for security and stuff. Just yeah. for security. They hire basically off duty police officers. It's a way for them to make a little extra money on the side. You see it right. all, all the time here in Los Angeles and even in New York, when you see a, a film set, uh, you'll always see the police officers standing by. They are hired by the production, but it doesn't mean they have any training in overseeing the use oh, no. of weapon. Right. No, no, they're yeah, usually so that's there for an crowd entire, control. So, yeah. you know, that's not their job. They're not trained for that to oversee other people. That's a wholly new job. And that brings us to a fact about armors. In California, to be an armorer, all you need is a background check. Now, there are people above that, the people who are totally in charge, but the armors have an important role to do. And all you get is just find out that they're not, you know, criminals <laughs> and they can work as an armor. In a lot of other states, you don't even need to do a background check. So maybe that's something that can change as well. Though, again, there will always be, you know, like maybe explosions or fire or other things. You're going to need safety. You can't get rid of everything. But if you can get rid of guns and reduce the need for armorers, for the love of God, let's do it. Yeah, but I think that actually uh, I'm sure a lot of people expected us to talk a lot about uh, in during Inside Baseball this week, the, the story about Astroworld, which is this concert that uh, is put on by Travis Scott. It was put on in Houston. It's I, I guess it's what, in its third or fourth year? It's so the third year. They took last year off, obviously, and there were no major incidents two years ago or three years ago. Uh, people went over barriers and went into another area, I think, two years ago in 2019. So they instituted new barriers and they had a lot of security there. But obviously, things went tragically wrong. There were 50,000 people in attendance. Uh, the crowd compressed. That's a, a technical term, I guess. Panic ensued and people died and were injured amidst the chaos. Of course, you immediately think of The Who back in the day. You know, it happened at a Pearl concert. Jam concert as well in, in uh, the Netherlands or Denmark or something. like. I, I'd have to go back and look, but it, it happened there as well to Pearl Jam in the 90s. Well, wasn't there? Wasn't that a scaffolding or something as opposed to a crowd surge? Um, I'm not I'd have sure. To go but back and eight, look. eight people have died. Hundreds of people were injured. Obviously, they canceled the second night. Uh, 
a lot of rumors and 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 crazy talk about what went wrong. Obviously, something went wrong. Nothing like this should happen. There were weird rumors about drug spiking because some people had heart attacks and said, why would you have a heart attack? I don't know. People, uh, 10,000 people are crushing you. I might have a heart attack. But there was a question of whether a police officer was drug spiked and other people might have been. All these crazy, silly rumors. We're going to have to wait to find out. But analysts and people who work festivals did say there were some poor choices made. And we do know, unfortunately, Travis Scott has sort of a He's got a great live show. He's probably better known as a live act than even a recording act. He calls his fans ragers. He has a couple, he's been been in trouble and been fined for saying, hey, come to rush the stage, get on stage, or come over the barriers, you know, come in. You know, he's done that before, but the way he did not do that at this show, as far as I understand, but he has had troubles in the past, but they had a lot of security, but they made some bad choices. You go to a lot of festivals, you know, when there's a big act on the main stage, there's also another act on another stage that can siphon people off or that pretty big act, their set ends like 20 minutes into the beginning of the main stage act so that you don't have everybody trying to get to one area at the same time. That didn't happen here. The other act was done. There was a huge countdown clock encouraging everybody to have a sense of, I got to get there. And that you know, is not typically done. And that probably contributed to the problem that we'll need a much better analysis. But half an hour before that main act from Travis Scott happened, there was no other music happening. There was nowhere to go except that main stage. Most festivals don't do that anymore. They know that's not a good idea. Clearly a mistake. And that should never happen again. And there are presumably other mistakes. Hopefully lessons can be learned. Lawsuits are already filed. It's a disaster. You know, you're making a movie, you're going to a concert, no one should die. I haven't been to an open area venue uh, in 30 or 40 years even when i go to see like a big concert even in a stadium the downstairs area on the field there are seats there you know even if it's general admission you can still have seats and get people to be in a certain area you can yeah, block they, off areas so people can't come forward uh, you know there's a lot of things you can do to make sure this doesn't become chaotic well, you mentioned uh, how Travis Scott is kind of known for having these wild shows. A, a man was paralyzed in 2017 at one of his shows. Uh, you know, no, notorious. Well, he was pushed off a balcony, so I don't oh, know that okay. Travis was 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 responsible for that. Okay. That man says he should have learned his lessons, and and but Travis Scott did encourage another person at that show to jump off the balcony so the crowd will catch you. Not a good idea. Um, yeah. But as far as I know, nobody has said he did anything at this festival. Nobody said he said anything like, come forward, smash. You know, he stopped it multiple times when he realized something was going on. So that's not the issue here, though. He, you know, that's that's been an issue in the past. And uh, I did mention the Pearl Jam issue. That was nine people who died at the Roskilde Festival in Denmark in the year 2000 when uh, the same same type of thing. Uh, the barriers uh, didn't hold people back. Everybody got crushed. Uh, you know, and you also mentioned that the cross programming, the counter programming. And you're right. Mm -hmm. Having gone to a lot of festivals, having gone to uh, Coachella, where 120,000 people are there on any given day. Uh, they do a good job of cross-programming. Even when they had Beyonce, who you would think they would put on a stage and just say nobody else can play with her. They had five other acts going on, including at the time, Post Malone, his set didn't end until half an hour into hers. And they exactly. did that on purpose because right. he was the hottest act he could get at that point. And sure, people were there to see you know, Beyonce as well. But if you wanted to see both, you had to miss the first half of Beyonce. 
And it also meant you weren't going to be rushing in and you weren't going to, right. there's already a lot of people in place. Uh, I've been to Central Park concerts. So that is a case where I have been somewhere where there's no seating as such. And, you know, people just gather in and move in together. But people are there all day and they block it off as soon as there's too many people. And then they say, all right, this section is full. You can't get forward. You can't get in there again. If you want to get out to use the bathroom, they like give you a pass and you come back, you know, they're very careful to make sure that they don't allow, and everybody's sort of in a mellow mood. It doesn't create a frenzy. It's just one show, one person, but you know, Hey, I can't get any closer than this. So it's right. a, it's a disaster. We're going to learn a lot more. I'm sure in the days and weeks to come, uh, hope the lessons should have been learned after Pearl Jam, after the who things have changed a lot, but these festival shows with 50, a hundred thousand people, they create lots of challenges and you know this is just just awful you know the only time i uh recalled uh that at at coachella only one person performing five stages only one person performing Mm -hmm. was on a friday when leonard cohen was performing on the outdoor theater so a smaller stage not the main (laughs) stage and literally there was nobody else performing but when you think about it i mean here you know here's a guy who like you really he's a little mellow he's He's a little mellow mellow. right it's like and yeah if you if you weren't into him you didn't show up and i remember being so far back for that because i was like oh i guess this is the only thing on but yeah and i thought well how could they put like other stuff on against him you wouldn't be able to hear him (laughs) <laughs> and, and it worked like out perfectly this. yeah everybody knows go. well so we, we our, our, our sad thoughts to the family and the people who were injured and died at astroworld and other people have died this week happily under less traumatic circumstances like actor joanna cameron who was the first tv female superhero she died at 73 okay let me try this oh zephyr winds that blow on high lift me now so i can fly have you been hit on the head? What are you talking about? <laughs> Did you ever watch the Shazam ISIS Power Hour or the ISIS TV show? No. It was on Saturday mornings and no, that, that the incantation does not work for me. It never did, but it did work for the superhero ISIS on Saturday mornings in the mid seventies from 1975 to 77. It worked for actor Joanna Cameron. When she starred as high school science teacher turned superhero ISIS, Cameron became the first female superhero in TV history. Barely. Two months after she debuted, I think it was like September of 1975, Linda Carter was starring as Wonder Woman in prime time. Isis was just on Saturday mornings, but it was a live action show. Four months later, Lindsay Wagner was playing the bionic woman in prime time. So I think that's CBS and ABC, if I'm not wrong. Uh, But that's cool. But Cameron did other stuff. She was also a winning contestant on The Dating Game. That's kind of cool. And she got her big break because she met Bob Hope's daughter. (laughs) <laughs> and she liked her. And so Bob Hope ended up casting her in some awful movie, but hey, it was a break. And in fact, she even changed her first name to Joanna on the advice of Jackie Gleason. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, while Isis only aired for two seasons, she also has one other really big claim to fame. At one point, the Guinness Book of World Records says Joanna Cameron appeared in more TV commercials for more different products than anyone else in history. Some 100 different products and counting. Is that still the case? I don't know, but I think it might be because to 
they, you know, people are so identifiable now. You wouldn't want one person in every single ad, but she was in everything. The New York Times says she did cosmetics, shampoo, wine, beer, pantyhose, breath freshener, you name it. She was on the Merv Griffin show. And he said wrongly, if you, if you played all her ads back to back, it would take you six days to watch them all. Well, not exactly, but anyway, but she was outdoorsy in athletics as the times in her obituary. She appeared in commercials, skiing and scuba diving, piloting a jet, driving a race car, romping through a field of flowers. You've done that sprawling, haven't you? Yes, Probably I've flown some- the jet. I don't know about this whole like uh, romping through a field of flowers thing. Well, if you were selling some feminine hygiene, you'd probably romp through a field of flowers. She flew with the blue. If Angels I was selling she- feminine hygiene, the company that hired me really ought to, ju- you know, think, <laughs> she think flew about with the what blue angels. Doing. She worked to promote the U.S. Navy. So this is it. She, you know, her big break was ISIS. Ran for 22 episodes over two years in 1975 to 77. She made a couple very forgettable movies, a lot of TV commercials. Her last credit was in 1980. After that, she moved to Hawaii, lived quietly, used her nursing degree that she already had to work as a nurse and a personal caregiver, basically hospice care for the next, you know, uh, 41 years. In fact, someone told the Times, yeah, nobody here even realized she'd had a career as an actor or was ISIS or anything like that. So, you know, a woman perfectly at peace with herself. No known survivors, but, you know, when someone said, hey, are you worried about being stereotyped as being ISIS? She's like, well, look, if you're going to get stereotyped, you might as well get stereotyped as a superhero or an Egyptian goddess. That's not so bad. So what you're saying is nobody knew that she, you know, when she was, you know, a nurse, that she was once an actress. But when she came to them with a bandage, when she was didn't, you know, would you like this bandage? It's got adhesive that won't hurt when we pull it off. (laughs) Yeah, from her commercial career. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, that wraps up our show today, actually. Speaking of bandages, wrapped up very nicely. Oh, yeah. Hey, I made a joke. I didn't even know. You see, I'm so good at comedy. I make jokes even when I don't know I'm making jokes. Uh, But you know what? You can subscribe to our show to find out how funny I really am and not miss a single episode iTunes, the Google Play Store, Microsoft, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you can usually find us. So please do subscribe to us. It helps us out when you do it. Also helps us out when you rate and review the show in any one of those podcast aggregators that allows you to. Not all of them do. I don't think Spotify does. But please do subscribe to our show. Now, links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to subscribe to us and ways to write to us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. We're also on uh, Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle and Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. But if you want to be like all the cool kids, you should probably call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. Again, all of that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz, well, every week he can be found on a new and exciting website. What is it this week, Michael? This week it's thankyouaaronrogers.com. Oh, wait, it was available, but it's been taken up by Mayim Bialik, the host of Jeopardy, who's just saying, thank you for making me look like the better option. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, because I guess what? Aaron Rodgers was a host on 
on uh, Jeopardy. And then they were thinking, well, he's going to retire from football. Maybe he can be uh, our full-time host now that Alex Trebek is sadly no longer with us. Yes, but sadly, can't they find for a show that celebrates science and facts, someone who actually embraces science and facts? It would be nice, but oh well. What about alternative facts? What if they they embrace alternative facts? Keep going, keep going. Well, okay, if you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry on whatever that website was, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com? Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. (laughs) 